0: Something
1: beside me, a light to the kerosene, and the places aren't
0: real anymore, and the faces don't say anything in the silent light of the mind blown.
1: Chess Club. Chess Club. Welcome to Devil's Chess Club. I'm Aaron Good. To get early access to episodes of Devil's Chess Club, please subscribe to the American Exception Podcast on Patreon. This episode will soon be available to everyone courtesy of the new documentary film series, Four Died Trying, which premiered on November 22nd on Apple TV and other streaming services. Four Died Trying explores the extraordinary lives and calamitous deaths of President John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert F. Kennedy. The next chapter should be available around New Year's Day, I'm told. I hope you enjoy the show and deepest thanks again to Four Died Trying. In today's show, I'm joined by Dan Kovalik, an American human rights lawyer, labor rights lawyer, and peace activist. He has contributed articles to Counterpunch, The Huffington Post, and Telesaur. He teaches international human rights at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law, or at least he did until he uh, retired recently, as I understand. Uh, And he has written a number of books, including No More War, Cancel This Book, The Progressive Case Against Cancel Culture, and the upcoming book, The Case for Palestine, Why It Matters and Why You Should Care. The book will be out in early 2024, and I will put the pre-order link in the show notes. Dan Kovalik, it's great to have you back.
0: Great to be back, Aaron. Thank you very much.
1: So you have been... um, very busy lately, you've traveled a bit around the world. Can you discuss some of the your your travels in uh in, in recent weeks?
0: yeah, well, I was just to the we- I went to the west Bank um of Palestine a couple weeks ago, which was pretty incredible actually um and made it to Bethlehem, which during this time of year is pretty amazing um, though Bethlehem I should say. There was no indication that Christmas was happening in Bethlehem, and there's a good reason for that. The patriarchs, Christian patriarchs, actually wrote Joe Biden and told them that Christmas was canceled in Bethlehem because of what was happening in Gaza. They did not feel that it was appropriate to celebrate anything. So there's no Christmas trees or ornaments or lights on the streets. Um And that's pretty profound i mean the the i mean again to start just at any random place i mean people need to understand that there's many palestinian christians palestinians were the first christians right um and uh israel's been very tough on on the christians in palestine um, including in gaza where they blew up the third old oldest christian church in the world and over the last 24 hours or so, they invaded the, with the Holy Family, uh, was at a church, I believe, in um, in Gaza, and shot um, a woman and a child there. Um, it's really terrible what, what Israel's doing. And again, you can see that in the West Bank. Obviously, it's not as bad as what's happening in Gaza, but the violence by Israeli military and settlers has really increased since October 7th. About 300 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since that time, which is more than was killed in all of 2022. And about 3,000 people have been taken prisoner uh, by Israel since October 7th, mostly young men. and so it's, you know, I would say the mood in the West Bank is very somber for, for because of what's happening to themselves. But I would say more because of what they see is happening in, in Gaza.
1: Right. Is there a sense that Gaza, I mean, the reality of Gaza would be it's a different dynamic over there in terms of the way the population is dispersed and everything else. And then the settlements kind of are, you know, interspersed throughout Gaza or throughout the West Bank. Is the sense that that sort of terror could be headed for them next, though? On a on a different, it would look different, but w- with the same kind of effect. I mean, do they? W- what do they? What do they think Israel's plan is for though?
0: I think most people, as far as I could tell, are in denial of that possibility um, because they have lived better than the people of Ga- in Gaza quite a long time because their government the Palestinian Authority uh, is very much you know a collaborator with Israel they they're very much have a go along get along attitude with Israel and in return the Palestinians in the West Bank have been allowed to live a better life than the people in Gaza and the Palestinian Authority you know kind of trumpets that saying oh look you know because of our you know, collaborationist policies. You guys are doing well, and and in in Ramallah, which is where I stayed, that's a kind of the de facto capital of of the West Bank. Uh, again, it looks fairly prosperous, and is and um, people do fairly well there. Though the economy, of course, in the West Bank has been hurt greatly by the conflict. And also Israel. So how it works is Israel collects taxes, customs taxes and others that they're supposed to share with the Palestinian Authority to because the Palestinians pay taxes, too. Right. Uh, But they haven't been paying those to the Palestinian Authority for like four months. So, you know, there's a lot of suffering that's happening in the West Bank. But again, it's not anything compared to what's happening in Gaza. There is not that mass. They're not being bombed from the air, though. Like the Janine refugee camp is being terrorized for sure in the West Bank and some other places. But again, in places like Ramallah, yes, there are you know the military forces do come in there. They arrest people. They do kill people, and that happened while I was there. But that's a very sporadic thing. It's it's not this you know relentless assault like in Gaza. So I think a lot of people are hoping that what's happening in Gaza will not come to them, you know, but some of my more politically astute friends there do realize that's a possibility, that after the Israelis dispense with the people in Gaza, that they may be coming for them in a very big way, and yet probably won't take the form of aerial bombings like is happening in Gaza, but it could be very, very destructive. And of course, um, since October 7th, the demolition of Palestinian homes has really increased. Um, the settler takeover of Palestinian homes has increased. Um, the Israeli settlements are being built you know, at a breakneck pace. You can see that construction all over. So they're definitely trying to squeeze the Palestinians out of the West Bank. I mean, I think their goal, the Israelis, if they had their druthers, they would force the people from the, the Palestinians in the West Bank to Jordan and the people in Gaza into Egypt, you know.
1: Um, right. That seems to be pretty clearly what they're they were trying to do. I mean, this was leaked by that Israeli uh, someone in the Israeli yeah, intelligence services leaked that yeah. report on how they all the other options were unsatisfactory. but sending them into the Sinai Desert, that was that was the real winner. That's what they should do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And clearly, that's the goal now, whether they are able to accomplish that. I mean, obviously, I hope not. Um, But that is the goal. And we'll see. We'll see. You know, I mean, if that happens, the Biden, you know, the Biden administration would forever be remembered by that, you know, if 2 million people are sent into the desert living in tents i mean my god
1: um yeah there's a there's an article in the at the cradle today and this is the graphic that they made for it but the, the title is diverging paths the us israel divide over post war gaza and it's reasonably i mean it lays out the argument for there being a divergence in what the us is advocating for and what israel is seeking to achieve here i mean it seems clear that israel that israel and netanyahu i mean explicitly has done everything to um very deliberately make a two-state solution impossible which to me is the one reason why i think that people on on the left and people who are pro palestinian shouldn't write shouldn't uh, say oh yeah it's completely unworkable because in a sense that is the netanyahu um you know that has been his goal of his particular contingency in that in that country um and then this so there is this question of what the u.s will want to do or or will allow israel to do will they would they stand up to them if israel just started to you know after demolishing all these areas just started slowly encroaching into those places that it's demolished uh and and doing what it's done in the rest of the of uh, so much of that territory so um, do you think that this is really a st- important division, or is this just theater? And they're really, and, and in the end, the U.S. won't stand up to anything Israel wants to do because that's how it seems to be largely going so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, the evidence seems to support the case that there is no true divergence because, while well, Biden, yes, he's making some noise that. He wants Israel to stop killing civilians in the way they are. And the Biden administration has at least said that they do not want any diminution in the area of Gaza and certainly do not want the Gazans to be pushed out of that area. Um, Their actions belie that because while Netanyahu is carrying out these horrible massacres in Um, in Gaza. And while now over half the population of Gaza is starving due to Israel's actions, what is Biden doing? He just recently sent 2,000 pound bombs to to Israel to use against Gaza. He's been working behind the scenes of Congress to remove all human rights restrictions, all restrictions indeed, on Israel's ability to access reserve armaments and munitions which no president has ever done of course he's seeking this 14 billion dollars in emergency aid to Israel so I I think he's not serious about what he's saying I think what he is those statements Biden is making about having a divergent path from from uh, Netanyahu are not meant for Netanyahu to hear. They're meant for his base to hear. He Biden wants his cake and eat it too. He wants to prove, tell his base I'm a good guy. I think Netanyahu's a bad guy. He and I are not on the same page. I just want you to know that. But meanwhile, I'm going to give him everything he wants to do his dirty deeds, right? Uh, we'll see how well that works for him. Sadly, the polls seem to suggest it's not working badly for him because his poll numbers seem to be uh, largely sustaining themselves. So,
1: Because who else, where else is there, to, I mean, who is the pro-Israel, I mean, who is the pro-Palestinian, pro-peace uh, candidate? There is none. I mean, well,
0: that's, I mean, that is what Biden is counting on, that that he's not Trump. I mean, that, and that, that will win the day for him. And again, it worked for him in 2020 and i it could work for him again of course you know which is a shame and i think democrats who oppose what's happening in gaza should make it clear that they will just abstain from the election or vote for a third party candidate that they won't vote for him even though they don't like trump i mean that they will punish him for what he's doing
1: yeah there's no i mean if cornell had stayed on the green party ticket there would be a viable peace candidate but i guess jill i mean semi viable but yeah
0: i guess jill stein is running as is the green party candidate and i guess she has a a good position on palestine so i don't know maybe people will vote for her but i do think that now there's like enough of a field of third party candidates that they're going to kind of cancel each other out right i mean they kind of have to get together i would think to have any impact on this election and i don't even know if cornell west is still running i mean he's i'm sorry his his candidacy is a joke i mean he's not serious
1: i yes that's been a very disappointing thing um i i think there's he never came up with an adequate explanation as to why after in days after robert kennedy announced that he would run as an independent that he was going to run as an independent that and those two things I don't think are coincidental. Now, I, I I, think, I, I don't I don't have a, do you have any theory as to why? I, I have some vague hypotheses about why he did this, but what do you, why do you think he did that?
0: I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't know if there's a lot of rhyme and reason to what he's been doing. I mean, he started out with the People's Party. Am I correct about that? And then he went to the Green Party very quickly after that. And then he went to being an independent, I mean, I'm sorry, like, there, I don't know if he even really wants to run for president or he just wants to make a point or something. I mean, I none of this is calculated to have any chance of impacting the election. So, and again, my guess is by November, you won't even hear the name Cornell West. That's my guess.
1: You might hear it come up in conversation, but not yeah. in the news. Yeah, not in pleasant convers. No, I'm
0: kidding. Not in polite conversation. No, but uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I I had thought, I had thought that perhaps his run was a was uh that potentially people around him that were uh, that I mean, I, I thought that perhaps his in, entry into the race was an anti-RFK thing, perhaps that that was a possibility now i'm not saying i think that i know that that's the case or that i even really think very strongly that it is but i i thought that was a, a possibility maybe with the idea that you don't really that it would hurt kennedy's chances in the democratic primary if he was running in the primary if there was a more full-on peace candidate uh, who was who was nominally of the left more than kennedy is for sure so that was that was what i thought at the time but i don't you know i don't really know if that's the case now when he left the green party because of kennedy i i tended to think that it may have had something to do with his vanity really that it's that he does not want to be the with as a green party he would have more he would be on the ballot he could potentially be a spoiler for a democratic administration and that his his vanity could not suffer being hated like that
0: right well he does seem like a very vain person and um again not a serious person is the truth there's certainly not a serious political candidate that that's my view and that's a shame. we need we need a serious third party run and um he certainly has some good views but again he's not going to be the guy to deliver at all he can't deliver he, he will not get on many ballots if,
1: no if i have anything. a i yeah i can't see how he would be able to and that is no. and that should have been clear very clear from anybody looking at his situation back when he made that decision to leave the green party yeah
0: so maybe so, you have a writing campaign which again is just
1: <laughs> silly to... yes this and this brings us to the issue of like what can possibly what is going to stop this juggernaut of i mean i i've been i, I wrote about In my dissertation, in my book, I write about the U.S. Empire, and that's my main focus. But this has brought into relief in my mind something even more, which is like, it's not like I didn't know this before, but it's like it really hammers it home. At the end of World War II, we embarked on two insane projects, which is global dominance, you know, indefinitely for the U.S. Empire. And then Zionism at, at the end of World War II. Which is part of our global dominance. It's kind of a subset. That's of just it. And, and it makes it, that's what makes it difficult to even know what to attribute to what. What can you attribute to the US and what can you attribute to um, you know Zionism and its takeover of foreign policy in a sense? Neoconservatism is, is virtually interchangeable from that in terms of its agenda. So, how do these things get wound down because they both seem to be doing terribly right now uh i mean people are leaving israel in large numbers in recent years that they you know those netanyahu was embroiled in scandal perhaps like going headed to jail before this um things are going terrible in ukraine um you know the the for the us i mean it's a disaster it's a the biggest it's a debacle that makes it that in some ways is worse than iraq although it's not hard it's hard to to say but the more you look back on this it's like the whole 21st century has been a series of catastrophic blunders of uh imperial hubris and and now it does seem that i don't think it's a coincidence that as things are going so badly israel seems to be thinking that they need a final solution for gaza for example so what what do you think has what how do you how strong do you see uh u.s imperialism and zionism at this at this moment what are their prospects 10 years from now
0: yeah i mean i do think they're weakening i mean and and i think what will end those things is that they will be defeated i mean in in the same way that in the end the you know the vietnam war was ended by the fact that the vietnamese won they outlasted the us in the, in this war of attrition uh, you know but the peace movement was certainly important it, it, you know played a role in certainly i'm certain giving morale to the to the to the vietnamese and um but you know uh reality will assert itself and and the reality is that that zionism is not sustainable and israel is not sustainable in the way it is because as you say about five i I think 500,000 israelis left after october 7th feeling that they weren't secure there you know um and the U.S. empire goes from defeat to defeat. If you ever listen to Colonel Douglas McGregor, you know, who was in Trump's International Security Council, he always jokes, you know, that, you know, we don't win any of these wars, you know, and he's like, we're training Ukraine to fight Russia. We can't beat Russia. We What do we have to train them? We don't win ourselves. Um, so I do think that the empire is going down. Sadly, they'll probably take a lot of people with them. Um, but how soft the landing is going to be depends on how the U.S. responds to these defeats and whether they accept defeat or they continue to try to fight their way out of this, which is just very dangerous. And you know, the the real One of the positive hopes is that, you know, there are unprecedented demonstrations in the U.S. against the war in Palestine, which is a beautiful thing. I'm surprised by it. Everyone I know is surprised by it. The Palestinians are surprised by it. A number of people told me how happily surprised they were to see all these demonstrations, you know. So the peace movement seems to be revived or is getting revived from this meanwhile the war machine is 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 overstretched in a big way as you say you know they tried to um have this confrontation with with russia through ukraine which was a big that was a big task and and that is failing and now they want to uh support israel in this genocidal war in gaza and and honestly while the genocide is going fairly well for israel the war against the militants is not they're not winning militarily against the, the the militants i mean the militants are handing it to israel and hezbollah is handing it to them and yemen is now shutting down the red sea i mean israel's got some trouble here. um they have very big trouble i think and so i do see hope for change and again a lot of it is be- going to be because of people resisting Um, all this
1: right and i was thinking about what the post you know post october 7 you know siege would what what it's going to look like what it's going to look like when this is done and if israel even if israel succeeds in somehow getting the palestinians to the people of gaza to into egypt which seems to be their goal i don't think that they that it would be rational for them to want to just kill everyone there without letting them leave because that would seem to be even bad optics even more than they would want to tolerate but who knows i I wouldn't have thought that they would do this uh uh, the way that they have um but what i mean the international if that you look at this long term it, it seems that the international community is not going to be very friendly to israel as as the u.s power diminishes and nothing seems to be reversing that big overall tectonic shift such that Israel is now making it that America is its only protector and only real defender anymore. Although, you know, how much was that always the case? But it didn't seem like it was always the case as long as the U.S. had the ability to tell so many other countries what to do. But as is the U- as the U.S., position diminishes, what would these other countries want to d- have to do with Israel? I mean, it seems like their populations would want to make them the ultimate pariah state. And if the U.S. power continues its decline, which there's no reason to think it won't, it seems that Israel would be very isolated. So it seems to me that Israel's interest would really be to, to soberly look at all the current trends and Whoa. think we really should go for a two-state solution. It's actually the best deal we could hope for uh, long term. But I mean, what, what, do you, what do you see happening to the... How do you think the international community will respond to, to, Israel's, to Israel after the fact? If they annex that territory and just start and they get rid of the Palestinians, I mean, what would the rest of the, communi- of the international community do?
0: I do think they will be looked at as a pariah state. And I do think you could see an oil embargo against them. You could see real economic measures... Against them by a number of states that would really be impactful. And again, they've already lost billions of dollars up till now since October 7th. They're going to lose billions more. And uh, if countries stop trading with them, which I think could happen, they're going to be in great trouble. The other, of course, thing that they've lost for the first time in 75 years is their claim to moral righteousness. I mean, a, A lot of people saw through that, but certainly I think most people in the West bought that, right? Israel, you know, um, frankly, has been very manipulative in in playing off, uh, you know, what happened in the Holocaust to kind of drape themselves in the mantle of goodness. And that mantle has gone. I mean, people now are seeing what they're doing in Gaza. They can't go back to that. And that's true, even amongst young, especially young Jews in the West. I mean, Israel's always had a demographic problem, right? they've always been struggling to maintain um, even parity with the Palestinians in terms of numbers in in you know Israel Palestine, whatever you want to call it. Um, now they're going to be desperate. They they're not going to have people flocking to live in Israel anymore.
1: And they're not the people that are going to flock there are not going to be the people you would want to be building a normal country
0: with. And that's been true for a while. That's why Israel's gone really far to the right. There's no progressives moving to Israel anymore. Um, No, I think that they're they're they really the truth is while they they look like they're winning again because they're just racking up a huge body count, they're losing. I mean, they're losing badly. And I, they, here's the problem, though. Netanyahu, and you touched on this. He's such a horrible leader. Why? Because a lot of what he's doing is not to save Israel. He's, really, he's ready to burn Israel to the ground to protect himself from going to jail. All right? A lot of what he's doing is to stave off being, you know, tried on corruption charges and going to jail. And he thinks if he can keep this war going, he's going to do that. Um, Can you think of a a worse reason for, you know, for, you know, engaging in massacres than that? But that's true. He's a very self-interested guy. And again he's ready to burn his own country to the ground to save his own ass. That that's just the truth of it. And that's why he's not thinking rationally or not he may he may be thinking rationally for his own self, but not for the sake of Israel.
1: Yeah, I mean it brings to my mind the situation that Lyndon Johnson was in in November of 1963, the when Kennedy was killed, Time or Life Magazine was about to publish this huge article about the corruption in, in the Senate. That he had been a, a part of uh, Bobby Baker, you know, s- scandal. Who was like a his own weird version of a Jeffrey Epstein back in the day, you know, somebody who was involved in sexual blackmail and all sorts of other corruption. And then he gets into office, and it's like you, when you have a very an obviously corrupt person running things, I mean, they are they they seem easily owned by the most belligerent actors. Uh, yeah, and, and
0: Biden the same to- Biden. Part of his motivation for doubling down on Ukraine has been to hide his own corruption in Ukraine, right? He doesn't want to be tried for that, impeached for that. You know, so both, both these guys, you now have these two guys who wield immense power that are acting out of the most, you know, selfish and corrupt motivations. I mean, that should scare people very much.
1: Now, what do you make of the reports? Because we've seen some of these. Um, this gets back to kind of the origins of this whole thing. But if you look at this picture that I'm using for the graphic here today, um, I mean, these cars that were apparently destroyed by Apache helicopters, it doesn't look like Palestinians with those M-80 rockets that they they have. Uh, or, or, like, I don't think that this was done by the by Hamas, no. right? I mean and and Meir was recently on a in an interview saying that he thinks that i mean that a lot of the civilians were killed by israelis on that day yeah
0: well i, I think mean i would wonder yeah it's coming out Haaretz, of course has run some stories about that i mean it's that appears to be true yeah
1: right so it, to me it raises the question of what was the actual um operation that that Hamas and those other groups carried out. Were they targeting civilians at all to be killed, or were they trying to take them hostage? How many? How, how many of the? How many civilians did they actually kill? I would. I would really like to know that. And I don't feel that there's. I don't think anybody can give an answer with any, uh, amount of certainty to that question. I mean, do you, what's? For, based yeah. on what you've seen, what do people think about that?
0: Yeah. Well, there's. You know, some people in Israel are calling for investigations into that. You know, but will those investigations ever come? I mean, we may never know because, again, now uh, Netanyahu is doubling down in Gaza because now he wants to hide that scandal. That's an even worse scandal than he had before October seventh, right? Uh, Again, this is very Nixonian what's happening here, right? Um, And so we'll see, but I do agree with you. I think that it's coming out that Israel's responsible for a lot of those deaths. And, of course, now you have the three Israeli hostages with white flags who were killed by Israeli forces in Gaza. And they had their hands up, and the one guy was speaking Hebrew, and they were shot anyway. All of this lends credence to the idea that the Israeli armed forces are completely out of control. At best, at best, they're out of control. Or, at worst, they're actually engaged in the Hannibal directive right where they will kill people who are going to be taken hostage so just so they're not taken hostage or maybe they even kill their own hostages uh, or, or kill you know their own people who are hostages um, but again at a minimum it shows that their um, rules of engagement are such that they kill everything that moves I mean that that's what's very what is becoming evident to people
1: as this as this goes on how much do you think that this question is going to linger in people's minds because it does seem so much like they wanted a pretext to do this insane this agenda which is, is essentially an eliminationist agenda it looks like i mean yeah do does. you think that there's any chance that, that we will get a detailed investigation of this or will we just be pondering this uh, for many for many years
0: i think we're as likely to get a, to get a detailed investigation of this is we have of the John F. Kennedy assassination. Um, I just think this is something that goes so much to the core of the identity of of, of the Israeli government um, that it it's just too hot to handle. Again, because if the truth came out, it would just it would be fatal to the to the project. Again, in a way that the Kennedy assassination if we truly knew what happened would be fatal to the our very identity of ourselves uh,
1: you or know? at least the empire i think i mean i yeah. i my take on it is the empire killed jfk and it's actually quite easy to understand if you think of it in those terms right um and so but for me the silver lining on the jfk issue is that with the empire no longer tenable then what's the need of even defending that kind of a thing and in fact it could be a realist uh, revelation, I think to be to like confront the public and let the establishment kind of deal with that. But so far, no, of course we they, all should
0: be calling for that. I mean, right. I mean, it's the only way to truly in this country achieve democracy in there I mean again, um, that sort of reckoning has to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, already people don't feel feel that the Israeli government is protecting them within Israel. The whole idea, of, this, of the existence of Israel is to provide a safe haven for Jews, if they can't, if if they're not only not providing a safe haven, but in fact are willfully murdering Israelis during a crisis, um, my God, yeah, what's the point of all this? I mean, that's what right. I mean. This is an existential question that's being raised here. You know,
1: and the and the bigger or an, and another related question is how can they credibly claim to be somehow protecting uh, Jewish people when I think more and more people are arriving at the conclusion that the main driver of anti-Jewish sentiment in the world is is the state of Israel, because Israel says we are Judaism and Judaism is us, and only those who are self-loathing oppose us. I mean, this is... How long can these insane contradictions persist?
0: Yeah, I mean certainly we can see insane contradictions last for a long time but ultimately they do collapse ultimately um the flat earthers lose ultimately you know again reality asserts itself you cannot you cannot fool full reality forever and i do think that day is coming where people are going to say oh now i get it now i get the fact that zionism is not the same as judaism and in fact is in direct contradiction to it um in the same way that you know neocon values even though put forth you know sometimes in the name of christianity or anti-christian i mean those things will collapse under the weight of their own untruthfulness and their own hypocrisy
1: or when the material you know the ability to just tell everybody how it's going to be is no longer there, which also seems to be approaching. That day seems to be approaching for the U.S. Yeah, what do you make of the shift in, among the younger people? Because I, I think that this is—I I feel like some of the identity politics and uh, the the sort of postmodern ethos of this obsession over individualism has been kind of staged, managed by uh, corporate elites as a way to manipulate the culture and kind of make people anti-materialist and not. Thinking, thinking, a, thinking about politics apolitically, basically, right? But I also think that sometimes they do things that have unintended consequences. Like, I think that the CIA and people like Tim Leary, I think a part of what they were doing back in the 60s was trying to, like, make the counterculture terrifying to middle America with by injecting acid oh, and all oh, this oh, craziness oh. into the discussion. You know, I've always sort of suspected that. But then even people like John Lennon are like, well, you know, the CIA invented LSD, but they didn't control it. It has all these other consequences. I mean, it, it, to me, it seems that part of making people so obsessed with like the suffering of individuals who are, are, are oppressed, you know, that that is kind of the zeitgeist of of, of activism in the, in the U.S. to some degree, that this has made them look at what's happening in Palestine. And I mean, if people get worked up about you know, TikTok videos of some person complaining about, you know, ableism or something, which may or may not be more serious in this or that case. But if people are that sensitive about things, it seems that like seeing what's happening in in Palestine is horrifying to these people who wouldn't have necessarily even figured out what the real history and situation was over there. Like they, it seems to have, they seem to have really run into something that maybe they weren't quite expecting? Or or what do you think about the way that the the attitudes are shifting among the younger people?
0: Well, you raise a point I hadn't hadn't considered. I think it's a good point. But I think the other point is, um, and again, which is an unintended consequence of the people who make money from it, and that is social media. The, The young people do not get their nightly news from Fox or CNN or MSNBC. They get their news from TikTok and Twitter and Facebook. And those are places, while there is some censorship there, we know that, the truth is on the, on the Palestinian issue, on what is happening in Gaza right now, it's fairly unfiltered. You're seeing videos of kids dying and being pulled from rubble every minute on these platforms. And that's where young people are going. And that is why the narrative is broken down. They, 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 you know, before social media, you only got your news from the nightly news and from the newspapers. And so, obviously, there that you had Chomsky, had others who tried to go outside that and all. But most people, that's where they got their news. So, it was very easy to manufacture consent. I do think they're struggling now to manufacture consent over this. Because they can't control all, you know, all these images getting out to people, especially young people. I think social media is the best friend the Palestinians have ever had. And that's been true for a while. That they've been, you know, one guy with a cell phone in the middle of Gaza is better than a whole crew from CNN. They can show you what's really happening. And that is what's destroying the narrative
1: right it does it that does seem to be happening because i see more viscerally horrifying things coming out of there i mean infuriating things that absolutely I, every day it's something worse every
0: every day it's just and again this stuff has happened that happened in vietnam this sort of thing that we're seeing it happened in iraq and libya But we didn't see it because it wasn't being covered, you know, and now it's being covered, but it's being covered by, again, individuals with a cell phone, not to also to detract from what very brave journalists are doing there, but not from our networks, mostly from networks like Al Jazeera and that sort of thing. But that stuff is people are seeing also on on social media
1: now one unhappy thing that uh we have to address is um our our man robert f kennedy jr who is uh his main platform if you go to his uh campaign website is you know he's talking about peace and fighting you know corporate corruption and interests that have special interests that have diverted uh and undermined american democracy uh, but he is staunchly pro-israel and this seems to be totally incongruent with the, everything else that he's calling for um what do you make of uh his position on on israel and is this going to damage his campaign it's not that the other candidates are better we know that they're not but h- how do you see this impacting his campaign because it seems to have uh really damper hampered or it's really put a damper on the support from more the the most activist parts of the anti-imperialism in the United States. Like, so it's, how does this shake out for him?
0: I think it hurts him. I think, you know, again, if he wants to attract young people, which I know he does want to do and he needs to do to win, um, he needs to have a different position on Palestine. I mean, the, the, could you imagine if he was showing up to rallies in support of Palestine? I mean, he would look like his dad, driving around in those convertibles, shaking people's hands. At that time, it was him going to civil rights, uh, you know, marches and uh,
1: and doing things with uh, Chavez or, or the the Indian, you know, the American Indian movement. Exactly, I mean, that
0: that's what that would be the optics of it. You know, instead. You know, he happens to run against the fact that since October 7th, this is the moral issue of the century till now. And he's on the wrong side of it, and it's going to hurt him very badly. And people are going to wonder what the difference is between him and the other two major candidates. You know, Um, he needed and needs to be vocal and vocal in a way that goes against the two parties. Um, and he could be a hero, and he's chosen not to do that. He's chosen what he, what he believes is the easier path, but it's not the path to victory.
1: Right. It just seems that he all that he would really need to do is adopt the standard U.S. position, which is a two-state solution and no wanton, brazen, large-scale slaughter and expropriation. Yeah. Even that would be... Even though people would say well he's not going to do anything once in office at least he would be saying something that would be calling for something different i mean people don't seem to grasp that what biden is doing is a departure from u.s policy because we can see that the israelis never attempted anything this brazen after you know after 1948 even the with the possible exception of the six-day war which is again another case where you had a corrupt president in charge who seemed to be at the, at the mercy of whether people would prosecute him for this or that. I mean, so that's, I think noteworthy, but I, it, 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 this is a switch from what the U S policy has conventionally been towards Israel. If he would just return to that and call for a ceasefire because this violence is unusual as well, he wouldn't even be, it's not like he would, he'd be Roger Waters at that point, he would just be George W. Bush or Barack Obama yeah no agreed i mean it
0: it i think it's a mistake i think i think it's a it's it's a a colossal mistake from a moral point of view but also a political point of view i think it will hurt him um it's not too late i suppose for him to change course but i don't see him doing it frankly i mean uh, i think he's doubling down now on that position and and again i think it will hurt him i i I don't. I think it's short-sighted on his part, and 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 which is a shame because he tends to actually be pretty, uh, you know, intelligent guy and a guy who actually has long-range views and sees the big picture. And that somehow, somehow, the big pictures escaped him in this instance.
1: Right, because these other issues that he is much better than the others on are in a bigger sense. Uh, more consequential than Israel-Palestine, although it wouldn't seem that way if you're looking at the horrors in Palestine. It's sobering if you think of the what the U.S. Empire does year in and year out. I, I wrote about this in my book, but there's a uh, it's something like nine million structural violence deaths a year from uh, from the U- from the system of capitalism that the U.S. oversees. It could with a fraction of uh, a tax on billionaires or part of the Pentagon's budget, you could basically end those every year. So we preside over a Holocaust year in, year out um, that is many times greater than like the whole population of Palestine. I mean, so this is a bigger issue of the, 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 the whole world is really suffered, the whole global South, especially under U.S. hegemony. And so he's, he's calling for winding that down. This is a huge change. And he's basically calling for a, negotiating uh, how to solve problems with China and Russia. This is a a template. What he's calling for in general would be the template to solve this particular crisis. And it fits perfectly with what he's saying. So why doesn't he just do it? All these problems are so solvable, or at least many of them are. There doesn't need to be any fighting with Russia. The Ukraine war didn't need to happen. There doesn't need to be a war in Taiwan uh, or over Taiwan. And there doesn't need to be a war in the Holy Land. I mean, these are things that are e- very easily solvable if there's just the will to do it at the right, in the right places. And yet he is not you know, picking up the mantle of peace in this way.
0: No, I agree. And again, it, his position, which I support, is of, of trying to to ratchet down the U.S. war machine is in direct conflict with his position on Israel. The two cannot exist at the same time. Which makes me fear, to be honest, that that other goal of ending the endless war would collapse uh, in the face of his Israel position. I mean, it it makes me honestly wonder how serious he is about that other position, right? Because they don't, they don't, they can't, they can't go together,
1: you know? I mean, his statements lend... um salience to people who would say that his campaign is a israel lobby production i mean he's the independent guy but is independent just like is it really the likelihood party that we're looking at here i i don't it's it's really uh discouraging Uh,
0: yeah it is it's very discouraging Aaron, because i did have some hope in him as a peace candidate you know um But I think it shows you one, the power of the Israeli lobby, which is probably has power over him to some extent, but also the power of the military industrial complex. I mean, I think by the time you get to November of an election year, the last people standing who are running have been vetted for those things. I mean, it's, you know, those who questioned those, you know, sacred cows of, of US empire have fallen by November you know and uh, or have changed their views to be more in line with the military industrial complex
1: yeah i mean well get, i guess the one the bit of hope there is that potentially the situation in Israel may change dramatically to where it's possible it's possible lines of action are reduced you know i mean it may have less options available to it and the us empire's collapse is going to be more apparent uh, and you the collapse of us hegemony is going to be more apparent and that perhaps at that point pressure will uh you know be applied to to him or people around him that you know could re- allow for some modification of this because i do believe that actually what he is calling for his policies are in the interests of even the class that domin the oligarchy that dominates us politics i think that they are headed for a reckoning uh if they do not change course but what frightens me is that they seem to have lost the ability to to function as good realists anymore like when they what they did with russia and ukraine is not just a colossal defeat for the u.s and, and the u.s empire but it shows that there's not that there's a a vacuum at the top like that there is no there's a mindlessness at the top that is horrifying and is not able to even assess or game out the consequences of its actions so this this to me is very disturbing
0: yeah well it's true i mean let's face it we have a mindless president we have a president who is not fully functional cognitively um That someone like that is even the head of state, I mean, is reflective of where our our political system is. I mean, I'm sorry, if if the choice is going to end up being Trump versus Biden, what does that say about American politics? About really the just emptiness and corruption of our system? Um, It says very bad. It's amazing. It's 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 never been this
1: bad. Even under Bush there, under W. Bush the so the liberal media as it was back then and the democrats there were at least signs of life right uh, i have not seen anything like that uh currently about this i mean in the same way it's- no the
0: liberal the the liberal intellectual class is utterly disgraced itself over ukraine and now it's disgracing itself over palestine i mean there just is no critical faculties left. And, you know, and the people who were, you know, you look at a Chris Hedges, who did write for the New York Times, he's now working or for Al Jazeera. Seymour Hirsch, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, is now writing on Substack. I mean, you don't have those type of journalists in the mainstream media anymore. You have talking heads, you know, they're just as empty as joe biden's brain you know i mean truthfully i mean it's pathetic it is pathetic
1: yeah and they get these guys in there i mean i i want to talk about this because we this was in the news uh about a month ago maybe you're running with uh john fetterman and now he's basically come out and said like i'm not a progressive i never was i'm a i'm a caveman or whatever i'm a reactionary i'm
0: a bob casey democrat bob casey being the emptiest suit in the world.
1: Yeah. Right. So, um, have you, has there been any fallout from this? Have you been banished from the, the Senate building for all time? Uh, just well, because I don't know. Him I mean, somewhere I in tried. Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah. I haven't tried to go to the Senate building since then. No, there. so far. I don't know that there's been any fallout. Um, I certainly have no regrets about my encounter. I feel I came out the better in that encounter. Um, and I believe that people need to make these politicians I, I don't think they should be allowed to be comfortable while they're supporting a genocide. You know, I'm sorry, like wherever they're at, people should be bothering them and asking them why are you doing this? You know. So um and what happened to me didn't surprise me in the least. Um You know, again, it shows the fragility of these politicians. I mean, all he had to do is say to me, I hear you're saying, I'll think about it. He gave me some food for thought and then walk away, right? Instead, he had me thrown out before saying a word to me. And it's like, what what does it say about his ability to even defend his own position? Or, you know, it's just really, and it shows such contempt for his own electorate. I mean, I told him I had voted for him and he didn't care. He doesn't even care about his own voters. Um, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning. And you see this replay all the time with people who, who confront their elected officials, you know, they don't represent us. That's it's just, they don't, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, I was talking to Larry Wilkerson last week uh, and he said something to me, which is like, I, I think at some points I may have, like, the the thought might have popped into my head, but I didn't really think too much of it. But now, in retrospect, it actually seems like it may be more important. He said that he thought that the reason Bush lost in 92 was that he went against Israel. That, like, the fact that he was telling Israel that, like, if they didn't work towards a two-state solution, you know, USAID might be called into question, might be re-examined um which is you know brings to mind jfk's letter to ben Gurion uh, that made ben Gurion resign right over the nuclear issue and i'm not saying israel killed jfk because i don't think that but i mean it just is but it shows that um you know that these things are aligned with other forces in in the empire and um it's plausible to me that i mean because you think about george hw bush he basically he could say he won the cold war which we know there's a lot to unpack there, which we don't need to do. And he won quote unquote the, the the Gulf War again, a lot to unpack, but by American standards he should have sailed to reelection. I mean, incumbents have a big advantage in the. US. So I mean, and then I what I mentioned to, to Larry also was that I had, I had more clearly felt that like what happened with Monica Lewinsky and the way that that was taking place around the time of the Iraq Liberation Act that, that Bill Clinton signed, you know, that the Israel lobby may have been, and then what we know about epstein and so on and that the way that the israel the israelis have handled some of the sexual blackmail operations the cia seems to have outsourced things like that to them um you know it makes you wonder about lewinsky and all of that and then the israel lobby seems to be I mean, as Mearsheimer and walth wrote in the israel lobby they seem to have been a, a key driving force behind the war on terror policies uh and I mean, how much of an influence has Israel been in terms of making sure that the US, after the Cold War especially, stayed on in this role as global uh, gangster, and especially in terms of like doing, carrying out policies that are in line with the like clean break strategy of uh, Netanyahu, you know, a clean break from the peace process, basically? I mean, is, is Israel a more malign force in domestic politics than even people like Mearsheimer might? Uh, suggest well
0: it could be I mean they certainly have an incredible impact over over politicians because of all the money they can use to fund campaigns um, and and the way they can really destroy people's reputations right by calling them anti-Semites and, and that sort of thing um, it is a very powerful force and uh, sometimes it does look like the tail's wagging the dog there you know So, yeah, it's a very troubling, troubling state of affairs. Another reason why Israel needs to be reined in greatly.
1: Yeah. Because it
0: Mm. it is a very, it it, it adversely impacts on a democratic system, let's put it that way.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, when you think about um, the way that these, Even high high schools, for example, even high schools, but colleges, you know, they get all these calls from donors about how they're not cracking down on. I mean, I don't see another issue like this in U.S. politics where a special interest is that powerful that they're felt like even private high schools run afoul of the Israel lobby and then have to like get punished or, you know, display contrition and things. It's, I can't think of anything else like it. And then the idea is like, if you're talking it it somehow is justified because this group is so oppressed that we must be constantly vigilant about any insults to them or threats to them but how do you square this oppression with the ability to exert so much power in the the most powerful country in the world It, it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny no it doesn't i mean it's exactly
0: what you're saying i mean it's all i'm sorry you know zionism in the state of Israel are based on lies. I mean, you know, that's just a fact. You know, the idea that they were, you know, that they entered a land without a people. In fact, there were people there. They displaced violently, you know, um, that they're the most moral army in the world, when in fact they appear to be the least moral army. I mean, it's just one myth built upon another myth. Um, but you know those myths are now falling apart. I do, th- and that's their biggest, I think, thing that they're losing in this war in Gaza is that they just cannot maintain those myths anymore. And without them, I do think they lose their power. I mean, they won't be able to call people up and get people fired because people are going to realize, oh, I guess there are legitimate criticisms of, of Israel, you know, that don't make you an anti-Semite. Um, so no, I think I think the truth is coming out now for the first time in a big way. Um, so I, I think things are changing. I think we will see change in our lifetime on this.
1: Yeah, do you think a two-state solution is at all viable? I mean, do you think it could be done? It was, to my mind, it's the only thing that can actually save. I don't think they can. I don't think the Israelis can live with the one-state solution. They'd go. But they, they've done everything to stop a two-state solution from being imposed. Do you think it's possible that there could be a two-state yeah. solution? Basically, you just have to evict. You'd have to just look at that pre-67 map and kick everyone out of the West Bank. That seems to be the, the all the settlements. I mean, they'd have to literally be evicted, most likely.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, either solution is going to be a painful one. I mean, yeah, we have to start with that premise. At this point. Again, the two-state solution, because of what Israel's done with the settlements, what it's done with Gaza, and what it's doing with Gaza, are really making a two-state solution uh, unlikely, if not impossible. On purpose. I, I, on purpose. On, on purpose. Given that, and given I, – I tend to opt – I tend to agree with the Palestinians. Like Edward Said, who wrote in 1999, he actually wrote an op-ed you can find in the New York Times. uh, I think it's called the One-State Solution. He advocated even back then, he said that the two-state solution had been destroyed by Israel and that really the only path forward was a one-state, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-religious state, one person, one vote. And yet that's going to be hard to move in that direction. But look, South Africa had apartheid. And, it, and it's moved towards a pluralistic state. It's not perfect. It still has many problems. The United States certainly has moved towards that ideal from a situation in which, you know, uh, Africans were chattel slaves, uh, and then he had Jim Crow. You know, we've certainly made a huge improvements, and all that's been difficult to do, but. I think that's the ideal, and it's the ideal that, that, that people should try to move towards. And I think there are a lot of, uh, certainly Jews in the world who would support that, maybe even move to Israel on that basis, whether or not there's a lot of people who live there currently who would want that.
1: Well, man, that I seems like it would be a good trade for them to have your more humanitarian uh, Jewish Israelis rather than the people that go over there now and seem to relish the idea of kicking Palestinians out of their homes and taking them I mean it's
0: exactly no they've now encouraged the worst people to move there um no I think the only thing to save Israel is a one-state solution you know again I how we get from the here from where we are now to that I don't know but I don't think a two-state solution would be any easier. And look, and look, that's already been agreed to years ago. And look at how that's worked out—not so well. So the main barrier um,
1: for either one, though, is the is the U.S. can't um, act as a total impediment to sorting it out. I think the U. If it weren't for the U.S., they would have they could have sorted this out at the Security Council. Perhaps I mean you have Britain too. If it weren't for the undemocratic structure of the UN, let's just say there could be a two-state solution arrived at pretty easily. It's just yeah. the white supremacy, you know, global white thug buddy, um, cons- you know, the, the way that the U- UN Security Council is constituted uh, gives re- a ridiculous and unfair amount of power to Britain, France, and the and the U.S., which is impossible to justify on any sort of moral grounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, why not India, which has a huge, po- you know, the, with the second biggest, maybe now the... Second, first, or second biggest population on Earth. Uh, yeah, no, I mean we have to, yeah, obviously, change uh, the Security Council. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: So where can that, can you tell us what you're working on now, and where people can follow your follow your work? Yeah, first of all,
0: thank you, Aaron, for having me on. I always enjoy our conversations. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel M Kvalik. And I, I am an author. I have a number of books I've written. I'm now working on a new book, The Case for Palestine, which uh, will be out in March. But you can pre-order now on Amazon, and that would be very helpful um, to, to the book if you did that. So the, that, those are the b- good places you can find me. You can find all my books on Amazon or at my publisher, Skyhorse Publishing.
1: Well, we will put a link to the pre-order page for the book. And I want to thank you so much for uh, talking with us again, because uh, I think that you have a lot of insight into these issues and you're always out there plugging away uh, fighting U.S. imperialism and and writing about it. So I I, I salute you for that and thank you for uh, being here today.
0: Thank you, Aaron. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much for tuning in. You can now pre-order Dan Kovalik's book, The Case for Palestine, Why It Matters and Why You Should Care. The link is in the show notes. Please do subscribe to the American Exception podcast on Patreon for first access to Devil's Chess Club and for all new and past episodes of the American Exception podcast. And please check out 4 These four American leaders were taken off the board back in the 1960s And i believe that if they had not been we in the u.s and the rest of the world would not be in such a bad position today the silver lining here is that it's becoming clearer and clearer that the empire is long term in a hopeless position it would seem that we are getting closer to the day when the empire simply cannot effectively kill off all the people it would need to kill off in order to keep the imperial gravy train on track the american power elite and their allied oligarchs are in the process of losing their empire. With each passing week, their prospects worsen on the devil's chessboard.